morning, church. It's good to see we're doing well recruiting more Italians to the church. I appreciate that. Desiderio Rossetti, the Benedicto, the ministry strong. Hey, it is September 11th, church, so if you wouldn't mind, just for 30 seconds, if you wouldn't mind where you are, just having a moment of silence and reflection. This is the anniversary of 9-11, it's been 21 years. If you just wanna have a thought or a prayer or lift something up to the Lord or a person up to the Lord, take the next 30 seconds to do so and I'll set up and then we'll, we'll get our message going this morning. Go ahead and just reflect. I thank you for that time, church. I get excited about preaching. I gotta tell you, one of the greatest gifts I, I get when I'm at work is an email from Pastor Rossetti that has the preaching schedule in it. It tells you the date, who's preaching, and what the topic is. So when I looked for today, I was really excited because I, I love to pre preach, and I, I saw the topic, and the topic was giving. I thought to myself, who sinned, me or my father, that I should get this topic this morning? Um, it's not an easy topic, but it's a topic that needs to be preached, church. Um, we are not a church that begs for money. We have let you know over the last month that we did have a budget shortfall, and you church have more than made up for that, and I hope you continue to do so. But please bear with me for the next 30 minutes. It's a lot to get in a sermon about giving financially in 30 minutes. I'm gonna do the best I can but I'm gonna make you a promise. I'm not gonna pass the plate at the end of the message to guilt you into giving more money this morning. We have boxes in the back where we ask our members to give their money. We also have online giving. Giving church is an act of worship between you and God. I have no interest in what you're giving other than how your heart condition is with the Lord. I do not wanna see what you give. It's up to you and God. So just listen, bear with me. Studying for this has changed my heart a bit, but the topic is controversial, and I will probably step on a few toes this morning, but that's okay, I have big shoes. <laughs> All right, church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gifts you've given us. Lord, we thank you most of all for the gift of salvation and the opportunity we have to return what we have to you so that you may minister in this world through us. What a privilege it is to be part of your kingdom. Let us hear your words, let us take it to heart, and let us do your will. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Why is money such a difficult topic to preach on church, and why have we not actually had a sermon on it in about 10 years? That's far too long. It's because it is a sensitive topic. How many of you think everything that you own belongs to God? All right. Just so happens I need a car for next week. Yeah, yeah, I might be tapping your shoulder. You just had your hands up because God's work needs to be done next week. Yeah, we know that everything we own is God's, but still, there's that root of materialism and love of things in us that we still have to battle. So that's one of the reasons we don't like messages about money. Yes, it's God, but also, John, it's kind of ours as well. 
And that's a fight we all have to fight. But I fear, church, that the church at large has done a horrible job teaching about money. Have you ever watched a pastor on TV say that if you plant a seed of $100, the Lord will give you 1,000? If you plant a seed of $5,000, the Lord will bring your vision back. These are damnable teachings. These are horrible teachings. These are false teachings that, as we're going to see today, are not really in the Bible as promises for those who give financially. Are there promises for those who give financially? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about those this morning because there definitely is a blessing. And we will touch on that. But church, just last month, I don't know if you saw the news, but there was a preacher who made national news because he chided his flock during one of his messages because he had asked them for a $5,000 Rolex watch as a gift. And they did not come through. He even told them, you can go down to Sam's Club and buy it. It's on sale for $5,000. They didn't buy it. And he spent the message saying, am I not worth your McDonald's money? Am I not worth your Prada money? Church, those pews should have been empty after he said that. That's not a teacher of the word of God. That's a selfish man who has a bitter root of evil, the love of money in him. But church, we have to teach about giving because God spends more time in his word teaching about giving than he does about hell. Why do you think that is, church? I think because materialism has such a root in our hearts that we need to hear about that often. God owns it all. We all agree with that. This passage alone could just be the message this morning. 1 Corinthians 29 is when David, first, I'm sorry, thank you. Wow, wow. All right, all right. Why don't you come, why don't you come on up here? <laughs> The people are getting ready to build the temple. David won't have his hand in actual the construction because his hands were the hands of a military man. Solomon will build the temple. But here we have David talking to God about the wonderful gift of allowing him and his people to be part of gathering all of the items for the coming temple. And just listen to these words, church, because in a nutshell, this is heartfelt giving. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, God, and from your hand we have given to you. For we are strangers before you and temporary residents, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like shadow, and there is no hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from your hand, and everything is yours. Since I know, my God, that you put the heart to the test and delight in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy, I have seen your, with joy, I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. There's the message in a nutshell. They acknowledge that everything that they have been given, everything that they own is God's, and they are delighted at the fact that they can take what God has given them and build him a house, a beautiful house. And they do it, how church? With joy, willingly. And that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. But church, why should we give? Why should we give as the church of Jesus Christ? Why should we give? 
Well, here's where the controversy comes in, my friends. If you were raised in a Christian home, I was not, but if you were raised in a Christian home, you probably heard a lot about something called tithing, right? And how much church are we to tithe? 10% because that's biblical. 10%, oh, amen, 10%, that's biblical. Well, church, if you really want to be biblical, let's get real. The Old Testament tithe was 10% for the Levitical priesthood, was another 10% for the feast offering, and every three years, it was another 10% for the poor. So if you divide that out every year, the total offering expected of the people of Israel was 23 and a third percent. Amen, let's get back to the Old Testament giving. Yeah, yeah, amen, 23 and a third percent. Well, maybe we don't wanna get back to that Old Testament giving. Here's the thing, church. We are no longer under law. We are under grace. Do you know why Israel gave? Because they were in a theocracy. They were in a country ruled by God. God was their leader. Yes, they eventually had kings and judges, but God was their leader. And God said, if you want this community to function, if you want the priesthood to function, if you want government to function and society to function as a whole, here are the taxes, the tithes, the giving that you have to do for the country, the state of Israel to function. It was under the law. It was, it was almost compulsory giving of the people. Church, Jesus Christ died for you and I so that we are no longer under the law. Do you agree with that? Have you read the book of Galatians? Have you read Romans chapter seven? We are no longer under the law. What are we under church? We're under grace. We are under grace. So if tithing, Old Testament tithing, wasn't carried over into the New Testament, which I don't have time to teach you, but it has not been, what does the, why does the church give? Why do you give money? Why do you even care? Here's why. Why should the church give? Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, the one who steals must no longer steal, but, fought, but rather he must labor, we must work, produce with his hands what is good so that he may have something to share with the one who has need. Why do we work as New Testament believers, church? Why do we work? Why do we make money with our hands, with what we do, with our minds, with our brains? We work so that we can make money, feed our families, but so that we can share with the one who has need. That's New Testament giving, church. Is that your concept of why you make money? Take care of the needs of your family and to take care of those who have needs. Acts chapter 20 says this, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands served my own needs and the men who were with me we took care of our own expenses. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this way, you must help the weak. We give to help the weak, the downtrodden, the widow, the orphan, the people who don't have food enough for their table, the people who don't have roofs over their head. And this is difficult in our society because we have so much. Most people's needs, basic needs are met, but this is why we are to give as New Testament believers. There's another reason. Second Corinthians chapter nine, and God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, church. You have money given to you by God so that you can do good, that you can be out in the world doing good. Why? Paul goes on and says, 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, not only the church, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Your giving is a witness. You're sharing with those around you who are in need in your world, in your environment, is a witness of the blessings that God has given you. Others will praise God for your obedience that accompanies your giving. That's powerful, church. People are looking at your heart, at your nature, at what you do with your money. Are you building the castle or are you helping the poor? Are you building your kingdom? Are you advancing God's kingdom? These are tough questions because we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world and we love to collect things. We have more things than we know what to do with. We have storage facilities for our things because we have so many things. I have more things in the back of my truck than I know what to do with. Stuff. We love it. But church, we also give to support the local church, don't we? Absolutely. Absolutely biblical concept. The elders who lead well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Church, who is our ox? Everybody wave to our ox. Hey, John, wave to everybody. Pastor Rossetti is our chief ox. Um, <laughs> Stephen Ryan is our worship ox, and, and, and Greg Fuller is our youth leader ox. But these men and women who work in the office and keep the church functioning are worthy of their salaries. The local church should be funded for giving, absolutely. But what I need to caution you about, and this is where I get myself in trouble, every time I, I talk about this to anyone, because I have taught this in Sunday school, uh, many of you say, I'll give my 10% to the church and that's all I will do in regards to giving, that's it, I'm done. I'll let the church do everything, the church will do what it can, and there's my giving, I'll stand before the Lord you know, judgment day and say I gave 10% to the church, they did with it what they will. Yes, you should give to the church, especially if you're a member, we just brought members in, members pledge themselves to support the ministry of the church. They say in the, in the pledge there that we just read that we will financially support the ministries of the church. But here's, here's the danger there. Do you know what the purpose of the church is? One of the purposes is to refresh and edify and train you and bring you to maturity, to fruitfulness, so that you can go out into the world and minister where you live. Do you believe that, church? That is one of the purposes that God has put you here. I live in the community of Milford, Delaware. If I want to reach out to people in the community of Milford, Delaware, sometimes that costs me money. If I bring food to the homeless shelter, if I have dinner and invite people over, that cost me money. Uh, we, we at one time in my life, we got together and, and we paid the, the mortgage of a, of, of, a, of a young couple who couldn't afford their mortgage and they didn't have a church, but yet we were discipling them. And wow, what a witness that was. But I wasn't gonna go to the church and say, can you give this unknown couple to you money for their mortgage? No, no, but our ministry was to give to God and the way we did that at that particular occasion was to pay this young couple's mortgage. Church, is that giving? Yes, 
My point is, because you give X amount of dollars to the church doesn't mean your ministry and giving stops. You don't pay the church to do ministry for you. We are all called to the ministry that Jesus Christ has set before us. I don't know what that is in your life, but I know it's to reach out to others. I know it's to help the poor. I know it's to help the weak. I know it's to help the suffering. I know that because the Bible tells me that, and the church can only do so much. So, we've been telling you there's been a budget deficit at church, and you've stepped up and you've taken care of that budget, budget deficit. So this is not about you giving more to this church. My concern is you giving more to God. And not necessarily more, we'll get into that in a minute, but just giving in general with a joyful heart and attitude. Why else should New Testament believers give? Know about the collection for the Lord's people. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come to you, when Paul comes to you, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So on the first day of each week, the churches in Macedonia uh, were giving money, uh, the Galatian churches were giving money for the church in Jerusalem, which was undergoing a famine and starvation. So Paul said, set aside a sum of money every week. When I come to you, I'm going to have men take that money to Jerusalem and deliver it to them. So accountability was in place. But to support the local churches is an absolute priority in giving. So don't say, John said today, we don't have to support the local church. That is definitely a biblical concept and something we have committed to do. But our giving to the church doesn't stop us from ministering. Listen to this church. This is a hard parable that Jesus gives. And it's, it's very, anyway, let me read it and you'll see what I mean. Luke, 17, Luke 16, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's you and I. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What do you mean use worldly wealth to gain friends for myself so that I will be welcomed in eternal dwellings? Well, he says shrewd people, worldly people, use money to do what? Win friends and influence people, right? There's books about that. Use your money to, to get something from people. Jesus is saying, use your money to spread the gospel. Use your money to advance the kingdom of God. And when you get to heaven, you will be welcomed into those eternal dwellings by the people that you evangelized. It's very difficult structure of language, but that is what they're talking about. That is what Jesus is talking about. Don't use your money to win friends here on earth. Use your money for eternal blessings, for people in heaven, to spread the gospel. So church, that's another area where giving should occur. To spread the gospel. Are you spreading the gospel in your community? Are you out there giving back to the Lord finances in order to do that? The dangers of money, church, this is why the topic of money is so difficult to preach on, because we so love it. I am as guilty as you are of loving money. There will be, in the not too distant future, a captain who stands on his boat, a cargo ship, 
and he will look off into that city, a type of city just like that, where commerce and trade are being done, where things are being bought and sold, and that captain will be standing on his cargo vessel, which will be full of luxuries, cars, jewelry, watches, televisions, computers. And that captain will look at that great city of commerce, and in the blink of an eye, he will see it explode in a puff of smoke and be wiped out in a moment's time. And Revelation chapter 18 tells us that that captain will weep. He will weep. Why? Because he, along with the whole world, loved money, loved stuff. And Revelation chapter 18 tells us it'll be gone in a second. And if you put your heart in the love of money and the love of things, and you see it all wiped out in the blink of an eye, you will weep bitterly because you have no other foundation but stuff. I pray that's not true of you or I, church. I pray that we just struggle with the love of money, that we are not given into it, because as we know, that it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. But godliness actual is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, as Job said as well, so we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I can't tell you, church, the number of families who have been hurt by the love of money. By dad saying... I'm going to take a higher paying job. Even though we have food and clothing enough, I'm going, to pay a, I'm going to take a higher paying job that takes me out of the home and doesn't allow me to spend a sufficient amount of time with my family. I can't tell you how the love of money has drawn women away to other men because they saw something that might be more appealing that another person has and they want it. So they, they leave the contentment of having just enough for something that looks a little better because they're not content with what God wants them to have and they leave the family for the love of money and the love of things. The love of money ruins lives. But godliness means we're content with what we have. Folks, how many of you right now as you sit here are planning your next purchase? Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Is it something we need? There's nothing wrong with stuff. Nothing wrong with stuff. We're going to get there. It's the attitude of the heart and what we focus on and what takes control of our minds and our actions. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. That's the problem, church. It's not wealth. It's serving wealth. Are we serving wealth or are we serving God? Do you have any plans right now to serve God or are all your plans related to advancing your career, advancing your income, advancing your kingdom, advancing your castle, advancing your next thing in life that has nothing to do with the kingdom of God? I would church that we at least had something on the table for how you're gonna advance the kingdom of God, how you're gonna serve this master because I know this list is full of things that we want. Not a bummer sermon. This is gonna be a good sermon. Hang in there. We're going to get to the good stuff. Giving is not a number, church. It's an attitude of the heart. It's not a 10%. It's not a 2%. It's not a 5%. It's not a 20%. It's not a number. 
Giving is a matter of the heart. God can be just as pleased with someone who gives 2% as someone who gives 20%. Was God pleased with the widow who put a penny in the basket? Absolutely, the widow's might. He was pleased because for her, that was 100%. But God can be just as pleased with somebody who gives 5%. Why? Again, it's the attitude of the heart. Let me give you an example, church, a real life example. If you're, if you're married to the 10% philosophy, let's say there's a young couple in the church they're young, they're in their 20s, they have, a, they have a child, they're living in an apartment, they make $50,000 a year. They're, they're giving 10% to the church. How much are they giving, church, 5,000? How hard is it today for a young couple to live on $45,000? If you don't know, those of you who are old like me, that might sound like a lot, but in today's money, it's nothing. An apartment will cost you 1,200, 1,500 bucks a month. And go try to buy meat, go try to buy food right now, try to fill your tank up with gas. Now, if they're given 10%, $5,000, and the person next to them makes $100,000, and they're given 10%, how much are they giving church? 10,000. What do they have to live on? $90,000. Can you live better on 90,000 than you can live on 45? Absolutely. Let me try. I'd be happy to try to live on the higher amount, right? But that's why the 10% doesn't work. It's, just, it's, just, it's, just not, it's not biblical, it's not grace, it's law. And if you want to follow the law, again, I challenge you, 23 and a third, all right? But here's my favorite thing. I love the Christmas carol, the, the, the Dickens Christmas carol. We watch it every year. It's one of the Desiderio family traditions. We watch it every year on Christmas Eve. We have to watch the George C. Scott version because that's the best version. Sorry, everybody. Um, this happens to be the, the Disney version, which Jim Carrey does the voice. And it's a really cool version, too. But this is the scenario where after Scrooge wakes up, after the third spirit, and he thinks that he's missed Christmas. What does he do? He runs to the window and throws it open and says, boy, boy, what day is it? What day is it? Why, it's Christmas day, sir. Oh, he's thrilled. He's smiling. He's crazy. Oh, what does he say next, church? Here, boy, you know, is the fatted goose still in the window of the butcher shop? The big one, not the little one, the prized one. The boy says, yes, sir, it's there. I saw it this morning. He throws the boy the money and says, buy that and deliver it to the house of Bob Cratchit. And if you do it in five minutes, I'll give you an extra five shillings. And he can't stop being, woohoo, whoa, yay, oh, I can do this. I can give my money. What happened to Scrooge, church? Change of heart. Before, when Bob Cratchit wanted another coal for the fire, not one more coal, Bob Cratchit. Huh? Huh? I'm gonna try out this winter for the, uh, the add one more coal. He wouldn't let him put a, a, another thing of coal in the little oven. But now, man, he can't do enough with his money because he knows that what's given to him, he can bring joy with his money. This is what it means when Paul says, each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that we don't pass the plate anymore, church, and the deacons can yell at me later, the elders can yell at me later. We used to pass the plate here, but COVID took that away. To me, it was a blessing for God. I don't like people to be pressed to give. I don't like people to be embarrassed to give or guilted into giving. That is not a biblical concept. Giving is between you and God and it's an act of worship. Between you and God. If anybody makes you feel guilty into giving, they're not teaching you well. 
They're not serving you well. Your giving is not to me. It's not to the ox in the back. It's to God. I'm sorry. I got to stop calling John an ox. He's more like a little squirrel. (laughs) But giving is from the heart, church. Does giving always mean we have to sacrifice? Does it? Church, answer me. No. Yes. We're divided. I've caused us to be divided. Hey, if you give the church 100 bucks, is that 100 bucks you could have spent on something? Yeah, it's a sacrifice. But is it a bad, is it, it's not a horrible sacrifice. I, I submit to you that you don't always have to be in pain to give, but there are times when you might be called upon to be in pain to give and give, give sacrificially. But here's what Paul says. Now, brothers and sisters, we make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. The churches in Macedonia were extremely poor. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. These people in Macedonia were having a hard time putting food on their own table. And they said, Paul, we hear the church in Jerusalem is having problem with famine. Hey, we can probably get by with just uh, one potato less. Allow us, Paul, to contribute to the church in Jerusalem. Paul says, we're not asking for you guys. We know you're in dire straits. We want to, Paul, because we know that God gave to us and we want the privilege of helping the church in Jerusalem. It's the heart. And Paul says, that is the heart that we all have to have. Now, we live in the wealthiest country in the world. We often don't have needs like this. So it may be rare that you're going to be called to give sacrificially. But church, be ready. If God does call you to help a family member, maybe they can't pay their medical bills. Maybe they can't pay their mortgage. Or somebody in your neighborhood who you know is a good person, a single mom who needs to be reached out to. Don't forget that God loves a cheerful giver and he will bless sacrificial giving. But you, John, said he wouldn't give us 10000 if we gave 1000 We're going to get to that. He blesses sacrificial giving. He blesses all giving if it's from the heart. And Paul says further, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give. He's talking now to the church in Corinth. Last year you were the first to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work. Come on, you pledged to give, now give. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means, according to how much you have. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. What is Paul saying? He's Paul saying, I don't want you to have to sacrifice to the point where you don't have enough to feed yourself. I'm not asking you to do that. If you do that, that's a compulsion from your heart. All I'm asking you to do is to give to those who have need, and when they have excess, they can give to you when you have need. Paul is not asking us to go into debt. Church, another warning. If you ever see a pastor or a church that says, put yourself in debt to give to the church, flee, run, get away from that church. Don't put yourself in debt to give to the church. Paul says that's not his desire. His desire is that you give out of what you have. All right, this is great. You remember when David did the census in Israel and God was really mad at him? You remember that? Well, a lot of people died because there was a plague to punish 
David for his sin. There was a plague in Israel. And David said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, shoot. All right. I'm going to repent, honor the Lord, and I'm going to give a sacrifice on this high mountain. This happened to be a threshing area where Aranu owned. There's a gentleman who owned this high mountain threshing area. We think now it was Mount Moriah, where they would throw the wheat up in the air and the wheat and chaff would separate. It was a threshing floor in this high mountain. And David said, I'm going to go up to that mountain and I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord and ask him to forgive our people. And I'm going to repent for the sin which I committed against him. And Arana said, King David, Lord David, Take the land on top of the hill. Pay me nothing for it. In fact, I'll even give you the the animals to sacrifice. I will give you everything you need to sacrifice to the Lord after you build this altar on this high mountain. And David said this. David said these words. No, I insist on buying it for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I will not present offerings to the Lord that have cost me nothing. There are times, church, where you will be asked to sacrifice and something will cost you. There will be times in your life where you are asked, not by us, most likely, by something in your life, a circumstance or somebody, and you will have the opportunity to bless them, but it will be a sacrifice. It will be a sacrifice. And David said, sometimes it hurts to give to the Lord. Sometimes it costs something. Will giving always lead to financial blessing? Church, the answer is no. Look, I'm not allowed to say that we're going to miss all these passages, but we are. God will bless the cheerful giver. Psalm 112.5 says, God will come to those who are generous and lend freely. Listen to me, church. Cheerful givers are not guaranteed financial gain. Many of you have been blessed by giving and having financial gain. But church, tell me, was Jesus faithful in giving what he had to give? Was Jesus faithful in giving his heart to the Lord? Yet the Son of Man sometimes had no place to lay his head. Where was his money in return? Paul, certainly he was faithful. He gave to the Lord. His heart was in the right place. Church, he spent years in prison. Where was his extra 10 grand? Why didn't God give back to him in the way that Paul gave to the Lord? John, great apostle John, he spent the last years of his life on the island of Potmos, not rolling in the dough, mind you, not at all. He had his needs met. So where's the promise that God will, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely? I'm over time, but I'm gonna end here Let me tell you what the promise is, church. God will come to those who are generous and lend freely. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's the story of the Shunammite woman. Look it up, Shunammite woman. She was a well-to-do woman. And the prophet Elisha, or Elisha, you can say it either way, as he traveled through Israel, he would travel the same footpaths time and time again. And he would go past the Shunammite woman's house. She was married. And she was a pretty well-to-do woman. And she said to her husband, look, the prophet of God is passing by our house frequently. Husband, let's build a room, put a nice bed in it, put some food in it, let him be refreshed, get water up there. And every time he comes through town, when he passes by our place, he'll have a place to stay. 
And that's exactly what they did. And Elisha said to her, what can I do for you? How can I repay your kindness? Church, who did the prophets of the Old Testament represent? God. So Elisha was saying to her, what can I do for you, for your kindness, for your giving me material goods? And she said, nothing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing, I'm good, I'm good. But then a servant came to Elisha and said, Elisha, that woman is barren and has been unable to bear a child. And Elisha called the woman and said, next year at this time, you're going to have a child. Wow. You're not going to have $10,000, but you're going to have a child. God blessed her because of her faithful giving. Well, as it turns out, after she had that child, that there was a famine in the land, and Elijah came to her and said, there's going to be a seven-year famine in the land. Flee to Egypt, where things will be better for you, because you have been faithful to God in giving your resources. I'm giving you this warning. Flee to Egypt. Things will be better for you there, and then you can come back to the land when the famine's over. Church, during that seven-year period, was she rolling in money? No. She went to Egypt as a stranger, as an interloper in the country of Egypt, but so she could feed her family. She gave up everything she owned, but John, she gave her wealth to support Elijah to some degree. Doesn't God bless us by saying that we'll get 10 times as much wealth, not only in the world to come, but in this world? No, but God promises us good will come. What am I saying, church? If your heart is aligned with God's heart, I do not care. I, I care, but you know what I mean. I do not care what you give. I do not care how you give. That is between you and God. Give all that you can because he has given you all that you have. He has given you all that you could possibly want. You may not get it in dollars, but if you walk in the footsteps of God, he will bless your path. How many of you here have, have had miracles happen in your life because you were faithful to God? Amen, amen, amen. I'm raising my hand. I'll raise both of them. God has looked after me. God has watched after me. God has orchestrated circumstances for me to be blessed, for good to come to me. I have had times of more money and times of less money. I currently have two children in college. What do you think these times are? These are times of less money. But the Lord still blesses our path with goodness. It might not be money, but he will guide us, he will direct us, he will keep us. We'll end on this church. Well, we actually ended, we'll end on this church. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Church, what God has given you, give back to him. And he will bless you. And it will be in this life and in the life to come. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for all that you have given us. We have, we have abundance beyond abundance, Lord. Each one of this room has a place to live and food on the table. And probably more than that. Thank you, thank you. And thank you for saving us and allowing our hearts to be aligned with yours and bless our path, Lord, and be with us and walk with us and show us the way that you would have us go. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. amen.